This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. not going to allow these institutions to be targeted by people. We Okay, listen y'all. Let me let me tell you, we finna put parties aside cuz it ain't it ain't about parties today. A bullet don't know a party. So don't get me started. You just watched Ron DeSantis get heckled when he tried to speak at a prayer vigil held in Jacksonville following an anti-black terrorist attack by a neo-Nazi at a Dollar General. And as Vox explains, on Saturday, a white gunman in Jacksonville, Florida killed three black people at a Dollar General store in what authorities have described as an anti-black hate crime. The shooter wrote a racist manifesto ahead of the attack, used racist slurs in his writings, and drew swastikas on his firearm. Quote, this shooting was racially motivated and he hated black people at Jacksonville Sheriff T.K. Waters said at a press conference. The three victims, two of whom were shoppers and one of whom was a Dollar General employee, are Angela Michelle Carr, 52 years old, Gerald Galleon, 29, and Anolt Joseph A.J. Laguerre Jr., 19 years old. The shooter died of an apparent suicide following the rampage. Now, you couldn't hear the individual things that people were yelling over the booze, but I think it's important to highlight specific reasons why some people were booing DeSantis when he showed up. NPR reports, as DeSantis approached the podium to speak, some people in the crowd began to boo. One person yelled out, you're not welcome here. Later, someone shouted, your policies caused this, according to videos of the event. As governor, DeSantis has loosened the state's gun laws and curbed efforts to teach black history in public schools. And don't forget, he also defended the teaching of the benefits of slavery. Yeah. So when a governor dehumanizes an entire group of people and further marginalizes them to the point where civil rights organizations feel inclined to issue a travel advisory warning people that the state is openly hostile towards African-Americans and other disadvantaged groups. I mean, it's not really that surprising to see something like this happen. You could argue it was inevitable because of the climate that DeSantis has cultivated. But now DeSantis is preaching unity and he is pretending to care about the very people who he has demonized throughout the totality of his administration. But I mean, he could say what he wants, but that doesn't change the fact that he has blood on his hands. So let's listen to State Representative Angie Nixon and what she said in response to this violence, because I think that she put it perfectly. Florida, the state, and its people condemn the horrific racially motivated murders perpetrated by a deranged scumbag uh, in Jacksonville at the Dollar General store. Uh, perpetrating violence of this kind is unacceptable, and targeting people due to their race has no place in the state of Florida. What do you make of that condemnation? What I make of that condemnation is hollow statements. This is a governor who has done nothing but fan, fan these types of, of happenings throughout our, our state. Look, at the, at the end of the day, the governor has blood on his hands. He has had a attack, an all-out attack on the black community he, with his uh, anti-woke policies, which we know very well was nothing more than a dog whistle to get folks up and riled up in the way in which it just happened on yesterday. As I listened to him for the first time uh, <laughs> with that statement, I, my, my blood is literally boiling. Myself and other representatives, particularly black representatives throughout the past few legislative sessions, have we have repeatedly told him what his rhetoric was going to do. 
And that is exactly what transpired on yesterday. This is absurd. It's ridiculous. He is one of the causes to this. This is an agenda that he has been pushing since he has gotten into office. He showed us who he was when he initially ran for governor saying, don't monkey this around. Don't monkey this up. Those type of statements, it only leads to things like this. Very well said. And if you're not sure what she's referring to at the end, Ron DeSantis said that we shouldn't monkey this up by electing his black opponent, Andrew Gillum, back in 2018. So you can't even say that he's gone full mask off as governor because the mask was always off. He never had a mask to begin with. So, I mean, watching him get heckled was incredibly satisfying to me because he even just to show up, he has the audacity, right, to show his face in Jacksonville after that happened. You know, he has... He has a lot of nerve, but I mean, there was someone that came to the rescue to stop the crowd from heckling him, and that was Jacksonville Councilwoman Jacoby Pittman, and she explained in a CNN interview that even though she defended him, she also doesn't support his policies. Let's listen. I had no idea that the governor was coming. Um, the uh, MC of the event for that day um, called him up. He was just only was supposed to have been acknowledged as being there. That visual that we did yesterday was a, was not about the governor. And I will say I don't support any of the stances or policies that the governor um, have implemented. You know, my concern yesterday was about the families. It was not a political um, ploy um, for me and our community. It was about focusing on the families that was there and the hatred that had come to their community. And so I just want um, to make myself clear. I wanted the audience to calm down because I wanted him to sit down and I wanted it to be the event that was for the residents and the community that had come together for unity. That's what that event was about, not the governor. Because I don't support what his stance is. Yes. So I understand her not wanting to make this about politics and just wanting to focus on the victims and their families. But I mean, the second that a fascist governor shows up and you then give him the microphone, it then becomes an explicitly political event at that point because you're allowing him to do a photo op when you know that he doesn't actually care when his policies and rhetoric caused this. So I wish that she didn't come to the rescue for him because this tragedy could have been prevented with policies, right? The white supremacist was able to legally purchase the gun that he used to carry out these executions even after he was involuntarily committed to a mental institution. I mean, that right there is a policy failure. This party claims that it's not really a gun issue when it comes to these mass shootings, it's a mental health issue, right? But then again, where's the policies to address that problem? They have none. In fact, in Florida, they actually lead the nation in Medicaid terminations, which is an essential program that also covers mental health. So if anything, the mental health crisis in Florida has been exacerbated by the policies of Governor DeSantis. So this tragedy is the direct result of policy failure on top of policy failure on top of rhetoric that further fans the flames of these types of folks. So, I mean, DeSantis can pretend to be sympathetic now, but everyone knows that it's all an act. And Alejandro Carabayo pointed out that his video response to the neo-Nazi mass shooting looks like a hostage video. But when you juxtapose that with a video of him talking about a group that he hates, in this case, trans youth, you can see that he comes to life. He becomes incredibly animated. Uh, we condemn what happened in the strongest possible terms. You do not take a six-year-old boy and tell him he may actually be a girl. That is wrong, and that is illegal in the state of Florida because of our efforts. Yeah, so he knows what he's doing, right? All of these fascists know what they're doing when they preach hate nonstop. These monotone denunciations from phony politicians isn't going to stop terrorists from doing acts of terrorism. However, on the opposite side of the same coin, constantly pumping people's brains full of hateful propaganda and hysteria, that is going to encourage them to take up violence. 
right? So where the rhetoric matters is when it comes to the preaching of hate. The denunciations don't actually make an impact when it comes to people's actions. And these fascists know this. And we've kind of been seeing a bit of a cycle where a fascist will encourage violence, and then when violence is actually carried out after they incite it, they feign ignorance, right? We're seeing this at the governor level, but it happens at the grifter level as well. So let me show you what I mean by that. Last week, Libs of TikTok shared an innocuous video of an elementary school librarian calling herself woke and claiming to care about social justice. Now the post went viral after she shared it and it was even boosted by the Oklahoma superintendent. But can you guess what happened next? The Union Public School District in Oklahoma was then inundated with bomb threats four days in a row at four different elementary school locations. Hmm, I wonder why people were so worked up. But then just a few days earlier, a California chapter of Moms for Liberty, which is another fascist group, hosted an event at a library which resulted in a transphobic speaker being told by the librarian that she wasn't allowed to spew hate speech. The video then went viral on Twitter after a transphobe shared it, and transphobic influencer Riley Gaines responded, also sharing it and saying that she wanted the silent majority to quote, do its thing and then followed up with the phone number for the library and encouraged people to call. The library was then evacuated because it received a bomb threat. Riley Gaines is now threatening to sue Pink News because they simply reported on it. So I think that it's important to kind of put what's happening into a broader context. We're to the point where the Republican Party and conservatives in America, they are fascist, right? But they're still within that proto-fascist stage for the most part. Some of them have just become outright fascists. But the proto-fascists aren't going to do violence themselves. They're going to get other people to do violence on their behalf. The point is that stochastic terrorists on the right, though, are never going to take accountability after they incite violence against marginalized people. And when politicians like Ron DeSantis continue to stoke the flames again and again, and when you have propagandists fear-mongering about white people being replaced, this kind of violence it's not surprising, it's expected. And they know that their words are inciting hatred and violence. So for them to, when violence happens, pretend as if they care and they stand with the community, I find that absolutely despicable. So that's why I'm glad that Ron DeSantis was heckled. He shouldn't have even shown up because his words are completely meaningless after he is responsible for this. As Angie Nixon said, he has blood on his hands. And this is not the first high profile shooting where black people were the specific targets. Last year at a top supermarket in Buffalo, 10 people were killed, 10 lives taken by a white supremacist. And in 2015, in Charleston, Dylan Roof opened fire in a church. He was a white supremacist, he killed nine. So we now have Jacksonville not going to be the last unfortunately so this situation is it's heartbreaking i mean there's no no words to really describe how bad and tragic this is you know my heart goes out to the families of the victims because these were lives they di didn't deserve this one of them was 19 years old and what makes this so much more infuriating and why i really feel the anger of the people who are heckling ron DeSantis is that all of this was unnecessary. This tragedy could have been avoided. 2024 presidential contender and undiagnosed sociopath Vivek Ramaswamy recently performed Lose Yourself by Eminem at the Iowa State Fair, and he described it as his favorite campaign walkout song. Fast forward to today, and we're now learning that Eminem's attorney actually sent him a cease and desist and demanded that he stop using his music, which I find absolutely Hilarious. Now, for those of you not keeping track, this isn't the first time that a Republican politician got a cease and desist from an artist, because back in January, Dr. Dre actually sent Marjorie Greene a cease and desist after she used one of his songs in a video, and literally dozens of artists have objected to Trump's use of their songs at campaign events. So, I mean, to be safe, I think that Republicans should just assume that all musicians hate them and use royalty-free music like us YouTubers. Now, this story kind of got me down a rabbit hole of sorts when it comes to Vivek Ramaswamy, and I found out something that was so disturbing to me that it shook me to my core. Am I being a little bit hyperbolic? Yes. But listen, I have to, I just, I have to share this with you. So the reason why he's a fan of Eminem is because he used to fancy himself as a bit of a rapper himself, and not just any rapper. He used to be 
a libertarian rapper. I'm not fucking kidding about this. So as Politico explains, during his time as an undergrad at Harvard, Ramaswamy had a side hustle as a libertarian-minded rap artist who went by the stage name Devek. The gig was an early sign of the extroverted, self-assured personality that has propelled him far further in the primary than virtually anyone expected. Quote, I saw myself honestly making it big through American capitalism, and that's why the Eminem story spoke to me, Ramaswamy, now 37 years old, said in an interview. A friend who watched him rap at some point in his 20s provided footage of it. And I've got good news, my friends. The footage is available. Now, unfortunately, I can't play it for you because he's singing Lose Yourself by Eminem, which is a copyrighted song. But if you follow the link to that Politico article, I'll link to it down below, it's at the top of the page. And I need all of you to do this. Just pause this video, go watch that, and come back because it is mind-boggling to me. And I say this because it's impressive in the sense of how bad it is. Like, you have to try to be this bad because throughout the entirety of this 30-second clip, he is completely out of sync with the music to the point where he speeds up, but then he goes a little bit too fast, so then he has to slow down. So he's going at different tempos throughout the song, and he's doing all of that while he can't really control his breathing, and he sounds like shit. And it is genuinely one of the most cringiest things I've ever seen. And when you also take into account the fact that he fashioned himself as a libertarian rapper, it is almost too much for me to handle. And <laughs> the extent to which he lacks rhythm is astounding to me. It's just, it's shocking. So I would highly encourage you to check it out, but be warned, it is, uh, it's hard to watch, but it's like a train wreck. You're not going to want to look away. But back to Eminem cease and desist, uh, which I find hilarious, but not surprising because as Tori Auden of the New Republic puts it, it shouldn't be surprising that Eminem opposes Ramaswamy using his music. The rapper has long made his political stances clear. He released the protest song against George W. Bush in 2004 that criticized the then president for invading Iraq and Afghanistan in the wake of 9-11. In 2017, Eminem wrote a song in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and released a freestyle rap railing against Donald Trump's morals, policies, and racist behavior. Exactly. So it's a little bit weird that Vivek would think that Eminem would approve of his use of his music in the first place, considering that Eminem has made it very clear that he hates Donald Trump. And Vivek, on the other hand, is one of, if not the biggest Donald Trump bootlickers in the country, which is bizarre, considering that he's literally competing against Trump in a GOP primary. But I mean, that makes a lot more sense when you consider that Vivek isn't running to win. He's running for second place and is desperately hoping that Trump picks him to be, to be his running mate. But I want to show you what I mean by that, right? Because I'm not just insulting him and calling him a Trump bootlicker because I'm trying to be mean, even though I think it's fine to be mean to people like Vivek Ramaswamy, who are just genuinely terrible people. But in an interview with uh, Chuck Todd on Meet the Press, so he was talking about this, right? And over the weekend, he went on basically a media tour and it seemed like he was trying to speed run dumb fuck comments but there's one clip in particular that i want to show you and there's others here but this one he talks about how mike pence didn't handle january 6th correctly so do you remember how trump was telling mike pence to not certify the election because he wanted him to steal it for him well essentially ramaswamy is saying well you know if i were in mike pence's position i would have done what trump asked me to which is not something that he can do, but I'm gonna let you hear how he says he would have did Trump would have done Trump's bidding here. This is so fucking mind-boggling to me. Most of the candidates on stage Wednesday night said Mike sure. Pence did the right thing on January 6th. Do you agree? I would have done it very differently. I think that there was a historic opportunity that he missed to reunite this country in that window. What I would have said is this is a moment for a true national consensus where there's two elements of what's required for a functioning democracy in America. One is secure elections, and the second is a peaceful transfer of power. When those things come into conflict, that's an opportunity for heroism. Here's what I would have said. We need single day voting on election day. We need paper ballots and we need government issued ID matching the voter file. And if we achieve that, then we have achieved victory and we should not have any further complaint about election integrity. So what would, so what I would, would have you driven have done it through the Senate? So what would you have done as, with Mike Pence? You would have so not certified the election? So in, in my capacity as president of the Senate, I would have led through that level of reform 
then on that condition certified the election results, served it up to the president, yeah. President Trump then to sign that into law, and on January 7th declared the re-election campaign pursuant to a free and fair election. So in other words, he would refuse to certify the election, pass electoral reform within a day, and then redo the entire election in order to appease Donald Trump. Oh, okay, well, isn't that convenient? You don't like the election, so you change the conditions and then you ask for a redo. That's not authoritarian at all. But I mean, first of all, he would not do this because you wouldn't be able to pass reform within one day. That's not that's not possible. Do you see how DC functions? They can't get shit done. So they're not going to do that. And Democrats certainly wouldn't go along with that. Second of all, again, he is specifically pretending that he would be better than Mike Pence because he wants to be Trump's new number two. That's what this is about. But what makes his comments especially interesting here is the fact that he was saying something very different about the 2020 election not that long ago. And thankfully, Chuck Todd called him out on this. In your book, which wasn't written that long ago, um, you wrote the fact that all of our governmental institutions so unanimously found no evidence of significant fraud is telling. Furthermore, I've talked to many Republicans at all levels of government, and not one has ever presented convincing evidence that the 2020 election was stolen from President Trump. Very few have seriously tried. I don't believe that most Republican politicians actually think the election was stolen. So you went from there, so let, let me address and this. 11 months later, your views have changed on January 6th. Again, this book was written September yeah, of 2022. Chuck, I'm happy to address that if, you, if you're interested. Yeah. Yeah, so and read exactly that chapter in the book. I drew a sharp distinction between what I did see as the interference in the election that mattered, which was interference by big tech. I'm data-driven. There's hard data showing that many voters, many independent voters, would have changed their result enough to influence the outcome of the election yeah. if they had been exposed to what we now know to be the truth about the Hunter Biden laptop story. By contrast, I've also been clear. I have not yet seen evidence that there was ballot fraud of a scale that would have changed that result. I'm just responding to data on both fronts. Okay, so that makes total sense to me. The election was stolen, but in the sense that voters would have all changed their minds and voted for Trump instead of Biden if they saw pictures of Hunter Biden's nine-inch cock. That laptop was make or break. It wasn't Trump's handling of COVID or four years of buffoonery. It was the laptop. Everyone would have changed their minds. That's the profound impact that that laptop would have had. Made total sense. I mean, this is idiotic thinking, and there's no way he believes this, right? It's stupid, but I don't think that he's stupid enough to actually believe this. But this man is a liar, right? It reminds me of how he said that climate change was real just a couple of years ago in a CBS interview. But then at the debate, he said the climate change agenda is a hoax. I mean, he claims to be an outsider, but he's more slippery than any politician you see in D.C. They're at least more skilled when they use doublespeak and weasel words. But with him, like, he oozes smarmy and slimy behavior that just makes people hate politics. Now, during that same interview, he said that he could appeal to young people because he's young himself. That's his argument. Meanwhile, he proposed raising the voting age to 25. So mm, I don't think young voters are going to be lining up to vote for you when you're saying that you want to disenfranchise them. But I actually want to move on to a different interview that he did, because uh, when he was asked about a neo-Nazi shooting in Jacksonville, Florida, um, just listen to how Weasley he was in the way that he talked about this. It was very disingenuous. This should not be happening in the United States of America, and it is wrong. The reality is we have a mental health epidemic in this country. There are reports that this particular individual, the perpetrator, was indeed evaluated for mental health deficiencies as well. And I think we need to have to have the courage in this country to bring back a practice of putting back psychiatrically ill people who pose a risk to their communities into psychiatric institutions, not just drugging them up, but faith-based approaches and other approaches. Mental health is one aspect of, of these shootings. And apparently, and we're still learning uh, a lot about uh, what happened. The, the facts are still coming out. Uh, also, this was very much apparently racially motivated. Uh, the sheriff there said point blank that this shooter had, uh, had manifestos coming, three manifestos, and said specifically that he went to this dollar store with the intent of killing black people. 
I think that is heinous and deserves to be called out for what it is. The reality is we've created such a racialized culture in this country in the last several years that right as the last few burning embers of racism were burning out, we have a culture in this country largely created by media and establishment and universities and politicians that throw kerosene on that racism. And I can think of no better way to fuel racism in this country than to take something away from other people on the basis of their skin color. I've been saying that for years. And I think that is driving, sadly, a new wave of anti-black and anti-Hispanic racism in this country. I think the right way forward is, 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 if we wanna stop hate and discrimination on the basis of race, let's stop discriminating on the basis of race and see what unites us as Americans, because I, I do not think this kind of racial division and any division is good for us as the United States. In other words, the real racists are the people who are trying to stop racism. And racism was actually almost gone until historically marginalized groups demanded equality. Had they not gotten too loud, then I guess that, you know, the racists wouldn't have come back out in full force. That is insane. But that's his response to a neo-Nazi shooter who targeted black people. This is a presidential candidate, just to remind you. Now, he just can't address that element of this story specifically so he tries to skirt around it and tap dance around around that and he'll bring up mental health but the reason why he didn't address white supremacy head-on is because his whole shtick has been to pretend that racism doesn't exist like this is literally what he just said i've never once encountered that yet i'm sure the I'm sure the boogeyman white supremacist exists somewhere in America. I've just never met him. <laughs> never seen one. Never met one in my life, right? Maybe I'll meet a, uh, maybe I'll meet a unicorn sooner. And, and maybe those exist too. So just because somebody hasn't encountered one doesn't mean that the notion of white supremacy doesn't exist as a threat in America. What do you think goes through the minds of the families of the three victims in yesterday's shooting when they hear you say that white supremacy is basically a fantasy? I'm sure they're grieving for their loss and I don't wanna politicize those victims. Dana, this is a very sensitive situation where we should have nothing but foremost respect for those victims and not bring them into partisan politics. But I was responding to a question where someone asked me, what, have I, what racism have I experienced in recent years? And I answered honestly, most of that racism has come from the modern left. It's happening during the course of this campaign. Kara Swisher calling me Rama Smarmy the other day and reveling in, in making twists of my last name. People effectively reducing me to the color of my skin and my attributes. That comes today from the modern left. So the only bigotry that he's experienced comes from the left, according to him. Now, I find that unbelievable because maybe he hasn't seen it, but conservatives have been extremely bigoted when it comes to his religion. He is a Hindu American, and religious liberty is something that conservatives claim to care a lot about. So my question to Vivek is, maybe you haven't seen it, but it's still happening. Got anything to say about Ron DeSantis' super PAC using your religion in opposition research? Or how about right-wing preacher Abby Johnson warning Christians to not vote for you specifically because of your Hindu faith? There's a man who is gaining traction right now as the presidential nominee and his name is Vivek Ramaswamy and he is Hindu and those who are Hindu believe in many gods and he speaks well and he is very charismatic and he says the right things he says so many right things sometimes I'm like maybe he is the right guy but he's not, because our God will not be mocked. Do not be a victim of Satan's confusion right now. So there's that. Meanwhile, he's pretending that all the discrimination that he's experienced comes from the left. It's the old Dave Rubin tactic, right? Where you claim that the right is actually more tolerant. Meanwhile, they're screaming in your face, bigotry. I mean, Dave Rubin was accused of being a kidnapper when he announced that he and his husband were having kids, but yet he still claims that the right is more tolerant. This is what the GOP does. It's the oldest trick in the book, right? They use marginalized people to attack other marginalized people because that's how you legitimize the GOP's hate. Now, if you watch both of these interviews with Vivek, 
you're going to lose brain cells. So I wouldn't recommend it because the more he speaks, the more unhinged he reveals himself to be. And it's impressive that he can say so many stupid things all while sounding super smart, right? But because he says it in a smart way, well, people take him seriously. It's kind of the Ben Shapiro effect, right? He just said on breaking points that he wouldn't rule out sending the US military to Mexico to take on cartels. Like we're in a situation where GOP candidates who are doing well are openly saying, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to invade Mexico. It's so insane that this is the state of the modern Republican Party, which is one of two electorally viable parties in this country. How sad is that? Yeah, but back to Eminem, because uh, I think that this cease and desist is uh, is awesome. It's not necessarily the most substantive political news story, but when you have an opportunistic, slimy politician who is saying deeply stupid and dangerous things, I think it's okay for us to find joy in the schadenfreude when uh, his idol gives him the finger. I think that's great. And I think that we don't have to be ashamed to laugh at stories like this because it, it's well-deserved. Fuck this guy. So last week, we talked about how artist Oliver Anthony, who went viral for his song Rich Men North of Richmond, found himself in a little bit of hot water with some of his right-wing fans because he dared to say that diversity is good during a Fox News interview. I'm not joking about this. But it gets a little bit worse for conservatives who thought that he was one of them because they played a clip of his song at the GOP debate and he responded to that. And what he said, I'm assuming, did not make a lot of Republicans happy. I'm disappointed to see, like it's aggravating seeing people on conservative news try to identify with me like I'm one of them. It's aggravating seeing certain musicians and politicians act like we're buddies and and act like we're fighting the same struggle here like that we're trying to present the same message uh you know I've, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and i've tried to be polite to everybody and um i've talked to hundreds of people the last two weeks but it seems like certain people want to just ride the attention of this song to maybe make them their own selves relevant and that's aggravating as hell the other thing that i find aggravating is uh well you know like it was funny seeing my song in the it was fun it was funny seeing it at the presidential debate because it's like i wrote that song about those people you know so for them to have to sit there and listen to that uh that cracks me up <laughs> Uh, but it was funny kind of seeing the response to it. Like, that song has nothing to do with Joe Biden, you know? It's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. Um, that song's written about the people on the on that stage. And a lot more, too. Not just them, but, but definitely them. So apparently his song wasn't necessarily the right-wing anthem that conservatives hoped it would be. But with that being said, I don't think that they're wrong to assume that he was one of them, because if you listen to the lyrics of his song, I mean, it is very heavily right-wing coded. And on top of that, he literally complains about people on welfare being fat and lazy. I mean, this is supposedly a working class anthem, but people on welfare are part of the working class. They're on welfare because they're not making enough to pay the bills, even though they have jobs. So to me, it's bizarre that he thinks Republicans were, I guess, wrong to assume that he was on their team. But Democrats started to kind of celebrate this after he repudiated the GOP. But he had a message for them, too, because on Twitter he wrote, I don't support either side politically, not the left, not the right. I'm about supporting people and restoring local communities. Now go breathe some fresh air and relax, please. I'm not worth obsessing over, I promise. Go spend time with your loved ones. Now that's something that I actually agree with Oliver Anthony about, even though I could acknowledge that he's talented and has a good voice. I fucking hate the song. I don't like country music, so you're never gonna win me over regardless of what the lyrics are. Uh, but he just, I don't know, <laughs> how do I put this in a very nice way so I don't sound like a condescending prick? He kind of reminds me of my brother-in-law, right? My brother-in-law is somebody who will share right-wing memes on Facebook, um, but then get defensive, claiming, no, I don't support either side, right? But then when you grill him, it's like, oh, no, he doesn't support either side, not because he feels politically homeless and he has broader critiques of the system itself and how both parties are, you know, doing neoliberal policies that affect the working class. He 
doesn't support both parties because he can't discern the differences between Democrats and Republicans. And let me be clear when I say what he means by that. Uh, he doesn't know the difference between Democrats and Republicans because he doesn't follow politics. And that's what he kind of strikes me as, right? Not this disillusioned voter who voted for politicians in both parties, you know, was maybe an Obama to Trump voter and feels betrayed every time he votes, so he's checking out. Just somebody who doesn't pay attention, but, you know, wanted to make a song about politics and he can acknowledge that working sucks and he's being exploited. So that's kind of why his politics, I think, seems so incoherent. And I think that Jordan Uhl had the best response to this because he basically has the politics of Pitbull. And uh, Jordan shared this quote, which says, when it comes to politics and politicians, I call it politics. That right there in a nutshell is fucking Oliver Anthony. And another thing that I want to point out is this meme by Trap Queen Enthusiast who said that Oliver Anthony is doing the meme. I'm neither left nor right. And then whenever somebody says that, it turns out that they are a right winger. And there's countless examples of this. Tim Pohl, Dave Rubin did it for a while. Jimmy Dore is currently doing it where he's pretending that he's on the left. But in actuality, he really is just a Republican at this point, a pretty standard Republican. Um, and so maybe that's the case. But ultimately, I think that... You know, Oliver Anthony, his politics is a lot less coherent than that. And this is why I think that it's really important for all of us to try to ground ourselves in political theory, right? Because if you kind of just have these thoughts that are sporadic and you have different feelings, but you don't know how to articulate them or why things are happening or you don't have the context to put it in to understand why all these things are happening, then your politics just kind of manifests itself in that way where you're ideologically incoherent and you know that rich people are bad, but you also hear the talking points about how poor people on welfare are bad too. So, you know, I don't think that anyone can really claim Oliver Anthony, nor should they, because I don't think that his politics is coherent enough to apply to the current situation aside from just you know the working class element where it's like man i work and my dollar is worth less i feel like that's common sense everybody can see the effects of this late stage capitalist economy on their wallets right millennials who are burdened with student loan debt can see how bad it is they can't purchase homes or cars so we all can see that right it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the situation economically in this country is bad but You've got to go deeper than that if you actually want there to be real meaning. But I mean, in some ways, you could argue that maybe he really is the true working class hero because he kind of represents the normie who just kind of floats around in the middle, right? Sometimes they'll vote Republican in elections. Other times they'll vote for Democrats, but they'll maintain that they hate both parties, but they have pretty reactionary views. But ultimately, they get fucked over by Republicans when they vote against them. I don't really know, but I do find this funny. And I think that any Republican, especially the individuals like Scott Adams, were claiming, what if this is everything? Um, I find it so funny that now they have to eat shit. And again, it's not like they were wrong to think that Oliver Anthony was one of them. But just to see them take this L here and be so disappointed this quickly by someone, I don't know why. Maybe I've just become a lot more cynical, but it's funny to watch them get mad about shit like this. But for him to straight up repudiate the GOP and say, I wrote that song for them. That's got to hurt for Republicans, right? So any grifter on the right who was praising this individual and saying that, oh, this is the true working class, now they kind of look a little bit silly because mm, he's telling you straight up he doesn't support either side politically. So uh, you could use him however you want, but he doesn't agree with it. And that's probably because he doesn't understand it. But <laughs> either, <laughs> either way, you know, I just I find this funny. So I had to talk about it. Well, folks, we have another episode of I Never Thought That Leopards Would Eat My Face, says person who voted for the Leopards Eating People's Faces party. And this time it is Rick Grinnell. He is the former U.S. ambassador to Germany under the Trump administration, and he also served as acting director of national intelligence. But nowadays he's just kind of hanging out. He's uh, tweeting about how Trump is good and how Democrats are bad. And uh, that's the extent of what it seems like he's doing nowadays. But he took a break from that to condemn a recent move made by his own party. So Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced that the 2028 GOP convention will be held in Houston. And in response, Grinnell objected to that 
writing, the Texas Republican Party bans Log Cabin, the gay conservative group with 80 chapters across the U.S. Texas is the only state that bans us from their state convention. The national GOP convention shouldn't be in Texas if this ban remains. Now, to be completely fair, I understand why he, as a gay Republican, would feel disillusioned with this move. But just a reminder... This is the Republican Party. They've made it abundantly clear that they fucking hate gay people. And yes, that includes gay Republicans too, Rick Grinnell. But I guess that Grinnell thought that he could get his conservative followers to pressure the GOP to change the location or do something, galvanize some sort of a movement. But predictably, they weren't very receptive to his cause, and uh, he was nearly ratioed, and people responded by roasting him in the replies. One of the highest like replies reads, Homosexuality is wrong and promotes degenerate sexual practices. It has no place in a healthy society. Now, Rick Grinnell responded to that saying, Donald Trump disagrees with you. Oh, okay, I'm sure they're going to change their opinion immediately. Now, other people chimed in saying, good on Texas. Cry more. Cry about it, clown emoji. Every state should do this. Amen. Good. Gay and conservative is a logical fallacy. I don't have a problem with this. Good job, Texas. Gay, conservative, pick one. Cry laughing emojis. Texas GOP not afraid to lead the party, representing their people and not everyone else. Good work. Now, to be fair, it wasn't just right-wingers shitting on him because a couple of people pointed out the obvious. Can't understand how a party devoted exclusively to omnidirectional bigotry as a governing ethos could do such a thing. This person writes, sad you get to realize your base hates you and only uses you when it's convenient to mask their hatred to the general. A true leopards are eating my face moment. This person says, oh man, who could have seen this coming? <laughs> Now, to be entirely fair, some people did defend him. For example, this person seemed to agree that this was wrong and wanted Trump to move the convention to a better location. And this person even called it repulsive and said that they'd contact the GOP, although they were ratioed and also called a cringeworthy dick lover. So there's that. And look, it's easy to feel sorry for a gay man who's getting dogpiled for trying to defend his community. But I need you to understand that Richard Grinnell does not deserve your sympathy. And there's many reasons why this is the case. First of all, uh, what exactly did he expect? I mean, if he were to stick his hand in a toaster while it's on, would he be surprised if he got burned? I would imagine not, right? Because he knows that's what toasters do, right? So apply that same logic to Republicans. Don't be surprised when Republicans Republican and do homophobic things. I mean, they're going to hate gay people because that's just what they do. And even though it's oxymoronic, gay men can be fascists too. And Richard Grinnell is indeed a Trumpian fascist, and he's trying to advance gay rights within the Republican Party by throwing trans people under the bus. For example, some of the people in his replies speculated that the log cabin Republicans were being banned because they supported trans rights, but Rick Grinnell actually responded to that, confirming that gay Republicans also hate trans people, just like cis Republicans, writing, log cabin leads the way for protecting kids and calling for no hormone blockers or gender surgeries for anyone under the age of 18 and no biological boys and girls sports. You just hate gay people and it's weird. Yeah, so there's also that. Now, I'm assuming that the irony is completely lost on him, but he probably actually is deluded enough to believe that being explicitly transphobic is going to further ingratiate him with Republicans and their base. But in actuality, that's not going to happen and he's just being bigoted to trans people now as a gay man that's especially weird to me because the source of transphobia and homophobia is one and the same right if you're born with a penis you are supposed to act masculine and be attracted to women and wear men's clothes and identify as a man but gay people and trans people both violate those rigid gender norms which the republican party's evangelical base tries to enforce so it's illogical to think that they'd be okay with one, but not the other. It's all degeneracy, according to them. And you're not going to advance your own cause by throwing some members of your community under the bus, Rick. But he doesn't care or doesn't understand that. Now, this speaks to a broader problem with LGBTQ plus conservatives. They try to ascribe a certain level of rationality to transphobic and homophobic Republicans. And they think that if they do that, then they could win. They could win these people over with facts and a good enough argument. But I mean, I feel like there's so many examples to demonstrate that that doesn't work, that um, they should know this by now. And furthermore, having a good enough argument isn't going to win someone over who believes that their God thinks that what you are doing, your identity, your existence is 
bad. But that doesn't stop LGBTQ plus conservatives like Caitlyn Jenner, for example, from trying again and learning the hard way every single time. So Caitlyn Jenner, for example, was ratioed after she angrily tweeted this to Ron DeSantis. Hey, Governor Ron DeSantis, watching your interview on Brett Baer, you're still defending your bizarre anti-gay ad. Which bathroom should I use? Now, let's just pause right there. First of all, let me just say it's very brave of her. We'll phrase it that way to ask a Republican fascist this particular question. But I mean, she thought that this was actually an easy answer to them because she followed up with this tweet where she was also ratioed again, by the way, where she confirms that she had bottom surgery. Now, I feel like she thought that this would be a compelling argument because typically they try to base bathroom use and norms on genitals. So it makes sense, logically speaking. But these folks don't use logic. It's just pure unadulterated hate, right? So, of course, they didn't care and they proceeded to roast the absolute shit out of her, writing in various ways that she should use the men's bathroom. And again, I don't know what she expected. It's like LGBTQ plus conservatives are suckers or maybe they're masochists and they enjoy the humiliation. But what I always find really fascinating is how whenever a queer conservative falsely claims that the Republican Party is actually tolerant, Republicans then loudly respond saying, no, the fuck we're not. And I'm not sure if it's a grift or if it's cognitive dissonance or outright delusion, but whatever the case may be, it is demonstrably untrue. The party hates queer people, but that doesn't stop folks like Caitlyn Jenner and Richard Grinnell from insisting that the GOP loves them. For example, here's some eyebrow-raising comments Richard Grinnell has made in the past. Do you feel like you're going out on a limb at all here? I mean, are you worried at all about pushback from elements of the president's base, from evangelicals, from social conservatives? No, not at all. I think I'm wildly supported by the, uh, the, the both parties. I don't think this is a partisan issue. And I think it's really important that we move beyond that. Um, I've seen uh, progress from, from the start of, of LGBTI equality, and uh, it's really important to not be partisan about this. Hmm, I wonder if he knows what the T in LGBTI stands for. Hmm, curious. Now, that was his response to a question about the Trump administration's global push to decriminalize homosexuality. And just a bit of a reminder here, Trump was asked about that, and he was literally... <laughs> He was literally unaware that his own administration was even making this push, but that effort was led by none other than Richard Grinnell, and he did that and then gave Trump credit for it and then claimed that the GOP is becoming more tolerant, and that's the evidence. Not very compelling. And to be clear, that is a noble effort. I'm glad that he used his position of power for good. But it is not indicative of the Republican Party's collective feelings about queer people. Remember, earlier this year, Ted Cruz did the absolute bare minimum by condemning a Ugandan law that made homosexuality punishable by death. And by the way, they're set to execute a 20-year-old man charged with aggravated homosexuality. But Ted Cruz was roasted when he made this basic condemnation of Uganda's kill the gays law. So if the party simply loathed homosexuals, that would be one thing. But it's not that simple. They literally want gay people to die. But Rick Grinnell thinks that everything is peachy keen and continues to prop up this party at his own peril. But at a Trump Pride event in 2020, which I'm assuming he also organized, he explained why he's just not going to give up on the Republican Party, even though they want nothing to do with him. I sat in 1992 in Houston, Texas, and I watched as the Republican National Convention in Houston, Texas had a speaker by the name of Pat and Pat gave a speech that basically said gays and lesbians were not welcome in the Republican Party. I vowed that day to stay in the Republican Party and to change that. And the reason why is because the Republican Party is the party of less government and more personal responsibility. It is the party of conservatives that says, mind your own business. Delusional, just utterly fucking 
delusional. Republicans have obviously not gotten better on LGBTQ plus rights, and over the course of the last couple of years alone, they've become worse than ever, being outright fascistic towards queer people. Now, he also said that it was Republicans who delivered marriage equality. I'm sorry, what? Where did you get that from? What reality were you living in when that happened? Because if you'll recall, the Supreme Court was the one in a five to four decision that voted that gay marriage bans were unconstitutional. But maybe his logic is that, well, see, during that time, Chief Roberts, a conservative, was the head of the court. And even though he voted against it, we still get this W. But Rick, Republicans don't want that W. Even if you try to make that stretch, which you cannot, but they don't want credit for marriage equality, I promise you that. But he also says that when he heard Pat Buchanan say that gays and lesbians aren't welcome in the party, that at that point he vowed to stay in and fight. Now, here's the problem with that, Rick. It's been 30 years. 30 fucking years. Society has moved on while the GOP itself has not. Now, there's a reason for that, and he knows the reason for that. It's because this is a zero-sum game, right? Republicans, they rely on the most homophobic demographic in the country, evangelicals, to win. So if they were to embrace LGBTQ plus people or even just be a little bit more tolerant, they would lose that voting block, which is the most loyal to them. So they're not going to choose a demographic, i.e. queer people, over their most loyal base when queer people aren't going to vote for Republicans. It just his logic is so childish. And I feel like he is lying to himself in a way because it seems like he believes the bullshit that he's saying. But in actuality, I don't know. Right. LGBTQ Americans can be suckers just like everyone else, but in truth, I think that folks like Rick Grinnell and Caitlyn Jenner, they're not as dumb as they sound, right? They've just chosen to prioritize their class interests over their own human dignity, and that might work out for them since they're wealthy, but it's not going to benefit the vast majority of LGBTQ plus Americans. So in conclusion, the Republican Party indeed still hates gay people with a passion, and I feel like that's pretty obvious, and keeping them out of power is a matter of existential survival for the LGBTQ plus community at this point, despite what losers like Rick Grinnell has to say. But I feel like I don't really have to convince you all because anyone with a brain can see that that is obviously the fucking case. I think that most people watching this are much smarter than the average political consumer, so you're welcome for the compliments. But you all know that right-wing propagandists are constantly saying idiotic things. They're spreading misinformation, making dumb comments, and that's why they're on our radars. But sometimes, on rare occasions, they'll say something so idiotic that even fellow right-wingers will pounce on them because what they're saying is so ludicrous that it makes other right-wingers look terrible. Now, that is not super common, obviously, but it does happen nonetheless. For example, Ben Shapiro called out Candace Owens after she defended Kanye West's anti-Semitism. Tommy Loren and Candace Owens got into a public feud on Twitter over Caitlyn Jenner. Candace Owens also got into a spat with Steven Crowder after he attacked the Daily Wire because they offered him a $50 million contract and he thought that that number was insultingly low. Yeah, so they fight from time to time. I think that a lot of the times they'll try to hide their true feelings in order to keep the peace, but sometimes there is right-wing infighting. And today is one of those times, folks, because Charlie Kirk is now being called out by fellow right-wingers of all people for taking his Trump sycophancy too far. Now, yes, Charlie Kirk is known to lick and even deep-throat Trump's boot at times, but even I've got to admit that this time he went much further than usual. So in this clip that you're about to watch, he's going to not so subtly suggest that Ron DeSantis should, uh, I don't know, maybe drop out of the presidential race and then donate all of his super PAC money to Donald Trump. He's actually he's actually going to say this when nobody has casted a vote yet. But nonetheless, let's watch him make the case. While the Democrats are currently pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into ballot chasing, voter registration. They have hundreds of full-time staffers in Arizona, Wisconsin, and Georgia. Turning Point Action has a couple dozen. We're doing the best we can. We know of no other full-time organizers out there. The RNC certainly doesn't have them. Ron DeSantis Super PAC, sitting on $110 million, has just said that they are doing a $12 million ad placement right now to support Ron DeSantis. I think Ron DeSantis is a great governor. Why is he trying to ruin his political career right now? Spend that money to help us win in the general. 
Why are you buying ads to make consultants rich in Iowa? Just say, look, I'm going to go be governor of Florida and turn Florida into the most Republican state. I'm going to deploy my $100 million to help us defeat Joe Biden. He would be hero status in the Republican Party, win or lose. He would look magnanimous. He would look like a confident leader. He would look like he is bigger than just the personal pettiness that's going on right now. Instead, you might as well just burn that money. Donald Trump will be the nominee, absent an unforeseen black swan event. We need that money as a movement right now, and you're lighting it on fire. Lighting it on fire. This is why the Democrats are so confident. They're so cocky. Indict Trump, weigh him down, make the Republicans fight amongst themselves, burn the money, do the boring stuff in Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia, and squeak out a win. And meanwhile, we're worried on a vanity project. It's got to change very soon. Listen, I welcome right-wing hatred for DeSantis because I think that he is a demon, perhaps literally, but this is such an insane tech. It's so entitled, and it proves that Trump cultists really don't care about democracy. It's all about Trump, 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 and that's it. Everyone else is just in the way. And it's pathetic, right? Even if Trump is almost certainly going to become the GOP nominee, there is still inherent value in allowing the democratic process to play out, even if I don't like any of the candidates because we live in a democracy. And if you think that the democratic process should be subverted because something is inevitable, then congratulations, you don't care about democracy. I mean, imagine if a different Republican said the same thing. Imagine if they argued that Trump should actually be the one to drop out and give them all of their money since he's been indicted four times. And, you know, he poses a danger to Republicans' electoral chances in the general. I mean, do you think that Charlie Kirk would have a well-reasoned response to that? Of course not. He'd throw a temper tantrum and scoff at the mere recommendation that somebody else not pay absolute fealty to Donald Trump. He'd call it election interference or some bullshit like that, because to people like Charlie Kirk, Trump is a god, right? And when I say that this is a cult, I really mean it. This is an actual cult, and anyone who isn't with them is against them. That's the mentality. But having said that, though, I've got to be totally honest. I am really glad that Charlie Kirk uh, said this because it ended up stoking a lot of infighting on the right, which I think is a good thing, right? America wins when fascists fight each other. So here's what right-wingers said in response to this, and spoiler alert, they did not take kindly to Charlie Kirk's recommendation. For example, fellow right-wing propagandist Bill Mitchell tweeted, Charlie Kirk needs to lay off the crack. <laughs> Conservative commentator Stephen Miller, not that one, the other one, mocked the suggestion saying, give us your money, Rob Meatball. Red State writer Bonchi responded saying, dude, just stop. Right-wing influencer Just Mindy says, that'll be a no. John Cardillo responded saying, no. And in response to that, Tommy Loren dragged him saying, this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Trump is not a king. He's not God. He's not our Lord and Savior. Year, he has to win the nomination just like anybody else. Now, predictably, Tommy Loren's jab at Charlie Kirk triggered a lot of backlash itself because these MAGA chuds did not want to hear what they need to hear, and that is that they are in a cult and they do treat Donald Trump as if he is a deity, and that's very unhinged. But regardless, they lashed out, they attacked Tommy Loren, and suggested that she's out of touch because she doesn't uh, view this entire election in the same way that Charlie Kirk does. Here's a couple of examples. Tommy continues to put her inability to connect with the America First voter on full display for 40 plus million of us to see. Tommy, you blocked. I stood with you after Gen Beck fired you for being a wannabe conservative who believes in killing babies, but now it's over. Oh, you lost him, Tommy. Uh, keep wasting your time with your bullcrap candidate that's falling faster than Christ Christie in the ocean. People are sick of establishment Ryan knows and want Trump back. The mega donors are useless as they are more concerned with their vanity candidates that'll do their bidding over supporting an effort to unify the party against the Marxist Democrats and fund ballot chasing operations and other legal means to ensure victory. But no, we have to do everything possible to destroy Trump and the MAGA movement. It must suck to ride the Murdoch's duck like, <laughs> like a motorcycle and kiss Suzanne Scott's ass every day. So it looks like she uh, disturbed the beehive. And now the MAGA chuds are uh, coming after her big time. Uh, now, to give you some additional context, MAGA chuds were already disillusioned with DeSantis, especially because of a comment that he made a couple of weeks ago where he referred to Trump cultists as listless vessels. And that comment is being compared to Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables comment. But let's listen. We have a strand in our in our party 
that views supporting Trump as whether you are um, a, a rhino or not. And so you could be the most conservative person since sliced bread unless you're kissing his rear end they will somehow call you a rhino. So you're not rooted in principle. Uh, if all we are is listless vessels that just supposed to follow, you know, whatever happens to come down the pike on Truth Social every morning, th that's not going to be a durable movement. So he is basically calling Trump supporters NPCs. And guess what? He's not wrong. Neither was Hillary Clinton when she made her basket of deplorables comment, because for all intents and purposes, this is a political cult. And they further demonstrate that every single day. Right. Because if you are going to continue to support this rapist former president who was impeached twice and indicted four times, despite all of the baggage, despite the lies, despite the election lies in particular, despite his attempt to overturn the U.S. election, then I'm sorry, listless vessel or basket of deplorables. Those are kind descriptions for these people. But Fox News hosts took issue with that comment specifically because they didn't think that it was very savvy for Ron DeSantis to say that. And that I would agree with strategically. It's not very smart, even if he's not technically wrong. Now, Tommy Loren, she also said that it wasn't necessarily politically savvy, but she still did try to defend DeSantis from that. Let's listen. It was not a good comment to make, and I'm sure he is kicking himself. And I'm, I'm sure he wishes he could rephrase it. Now, what I heard him say is maybe a kernel of the truth, and I'll tell you what I believe he was trying to get across, and he failed at it. I think what he was trying to say is this. I am not a rhino simply because I am running against Donald Trump. I think that's what he wanted to say, and I think further what he wanted to say where he messed up horribly with the listless vessels comment, and it, it rings like a deplorable, is what he should have said is, listen, I understand that you follow Trump because you love him and you love his policies and you see what's going on with him and you see the indictments and the sham and the witch hunt. However, we need to look beyond that and just what we're talking about with all of the, the circus of chaos and indictments and understand that we as a movement have to be durable. We have to live beyond Donald Trump and we have to have the America first policies be our bedrock. Now, that's what he should have said. Unfortunately, he did not say it that way, and it's going to hurt him. It's going to bruise him badly. But he has had to walk landmines. He is the only Trump competitor, maybe outside of Mike Pence a little bit, who has had to navigate the MAGA supporter. Because Trump does not attack any of his other competitors the way he attacks Ron DeSantis. Vivek will go on and he will take shots at Trump, but Trump will never take a shot at him because he doesn't see him as a threat. What the Trump campaign did masterfully before DeSantis even announced was labeled him a disloyal Benedict Arnold rhino out the gate, and he's been unable to I know, but the that. fact is, when, you, when you're 40% down on the other guy's movement, you need chunks right. of that movement to be competitive and to win. I don't necessarily disagree with that. And I think that Tommy Loren, even though she was fair in her commentary there, it was pretty obvious that she was bending over backwards to make DeSantis look better. She really tried to, uh, I guess, finesse his comments and make it seem less insulting to Trump supporters and provide viewers with additional context about how DeSantis has been trying to navigate these attacks from Donald Trump and still run his campaign and govern and yada yada. And that's also correct. The problem is that Trump supporters reject all nuance, right? And they demand unequivocal loyalty 100% of the time. So the mere possibility that DeSantis would dare insult this cult is not going to stand ever. And he is permanently canceled in their eyes because of that. So she's not going to get through to them. And I think that the problem is she knows that she can't get through to them, which is why she's probably really frustrated with MAGA cultists. But having said that, though, if you're a Trump supporter, you're not wrong to think that Tommy Loren is in the tank for DeSantis because she interviewed him on her podcast, Fearless, and she expressed frustration with Trump supporters who attack her for flirting with the idea of voting for DeSantis over Trump. So let's watch. Before we get into some other policy things, I do have to address the elephant in the room because, Governor, I don't know if you know this about me, but I have been a longtime Trump supporter. In fact, I think I was one of the first people on the Trump train. I campaigned for him uh, through my commentary through the 2016, 2020. I've been a vocal supporter of President Trump. However, I have gotten a lot of flack because I have looked at you and your candidacy and what you've done in Florida, and it's impressed me. So the natural thing has been the Trump supporters are very angry with me for this and for telling the truth. But because I do also represent a lot of Trump supporters, I have to ask you this, because this is what I constantly get questioned on. What do you say to those Trump supporters who say, we like Ron DeSantis, we wish he would have waited till his 2028 turn? What do you tell those people? 
Well, first of all, in America, we don't have turns. Uh, people can run if they believe they have something to offer the country. Like fascism. Hmm. Sounds very enticing, but I think I'll pass Pudding Boy. Now, she, uh, she had to preface that question by saying, look, I was a huge Trump booster, okay? I don't know if you know this about me, Governor, but I was actually one of the earliest people to be on the Trump train. I love that caveat there because it's like, oh, well, who did you support? Instead of Trump, were you a huge Jeb Bush fan? <laughs> if you're a right winger, you have to support Trump if you want any sort of relevance whatsoever. There's a reason why Glenn Beck went from being an anti-Trumper, doing segments with fucking Samantha B, to licking Trump's boots as well and laughing as he says he's going to arrest his political opponents if he's elected again. You have to play the game if you want to be relevant at all. So she has to do this tap dance because she knows how dedicated Trump supporters are. So you're either with them or against them. She knows this and she's trying to walk that fine line, but you can't do that. This is a cult and they have the cult mentality, so they're not going to accept nuance. And I think that that rigidity has really bothered Tommy Loren for quite some time because there's just no winning with them, right? Unless you pledge your undying loyalty to Trump, they're going to attack you. And that frustration that she's feeling because of this reality has seemingly bubbled up to the surface after she saw Charlie Kirk make that comment. So she's opening herself up to criticism and Charlie Kirk is as well, to be clear. But my hope is that this discourse causes an even bigger rift between the Trump and DeSantis bases because that rift is good for America, right? And just stop for a moment and juxtapose this primary with the 2020 Democratic Party primary. We were talking about healthcare and student debt cancellation and worker rights and climate change, whereas now, what is the GOP talking about? They're talking about personalities and loyalty to Donald Trump and who isn't as loyal to Trump and rhinos and bullshit like that. And the reason why they don't talk about policy substance is because they know their ideas are unpopular, hence why they're always concocting new distractions. But don't take it from me. A Data for Progress poll shows that a majority of voters oppose most of the policies proposed by Republicans at the first Republican debate. 67% of Americans oppose shutting down the Department of Education. 58% oppose breaking up teachers' unions. 53% opposed an invasion of Mexico, 52% opposed pardoning Trump, and independents are right in line with other likely voters. And on top of that, anecdotal examples suggest that anti-trans policies also aren't a winning issue for Republicans, and we know that abortion isn't a winning issue for them either. So what they're left with is this nonsensical bullshit about woke corporations or Hunter Biden's laptop or whataboutism when it comes to the Democrats. But in conclusion, Fascists fighting is a net win for America. So I say, let them fight and celebrate it whenever it happens. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.